This is Jonathan Armstrong here from uh, Cordray in the UK. With me is my uh, colleague uh, Eric Sinrod from Duane Morris over in the US. And thanks for listening. Last week we talked through what we thought were the highlights of 2014. And this week we promised to look at what we thought might be some of the tech law challenges in 2015. I suspect there are some that appear on both lists. Eric, why don't you kick off with some that you think might be challenges for the year ahead? Okay, Jonathan, thank you so much. I think what I'm going to do this time, I'm going to drill down into one subject in particular with a few subparts. And the topic of 2015 for me is, drum roll please, privacy. Mm-hmm. When it comes yeah. to privacy, a lyric from Joni Mitchell seems appropriate, Jonathan. And her lyric is, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Or another potential sort of metaphor is you don't really pay attention to oxygen until you don't have oxygen. And this is the same thing uh, with privacy. And as technology has moved forward, it seems that we're now noticing that privacy is disappearing in practically every aspect of our lives. So let's just recount a few of those ways that privacy is disappearing. And I suspect, Jonathan, this is going to continue to be the case as we uh, march into 2015. Uh, For starters, Jonathan, there's very little privacy in the workplace. Uh, Most employers have employees sign policies that make plain that the business equipment that employees use as part of their work is company property and that employers can monitor communications using that equipment. So there's no privacy Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Indeed, employees are told up front that they do not have any real expectation of privacy when using company phones, computers, and other devices. So uh, in the workplace, employees really know that, you know, what they're doing can be viewed, and there's, there's hardly any privacy, I suspect, unless you really go into truly intimate realms, like when you go to the restroom, uh, you know, employers really shouldn't have those, you know, monitoring cameras on top of the ceilings, as you'll see in certain department stores. That, that's the one place where you can probably find some privacy. Um, In addition to the workplace, uh, practically everyone, Jonathan, is living their life, at least to some extent now, on the Internet. And as a a consequence, all sorts of private information is being shared in cyberspace. Uh, For instance, when making online purchases, credit card and home address information is shared. And when making such purchases, consumers agree to the terms of service uh, of the providers. And at times, those terms of service allow the further sharing of the information provided and could also lead to targeted advertising. So some would argue that there's a privacy loss there. And, Mm -hmm. of course, social media, and you referred to social media gaffes last week. Social media now is the rage. It is a big thing. And if people expose so many aspects of their daily life to their quote-unquote friends, but those friends can exchange that private information with others, not within the intended friend group. Um, And more and more, Jonathan, our communications are digital in nature. So rather than in-person words that vanish after being spoken once upon a time, Mm -hmm. now, now the majority of our words are recorded for later potential retrieval, perhaps even long after the fact, which can also infringe on um, intended privacy. Um, And even when we believe we are acting in a secure fashion, we keep hearing about major hacks and data breaches 
with private information being compromised. And some of that information, Jonathan, is very sensitive, such as medical and financial records. Yeah. Um, and, and then privacy also can disappear out in the real world. And last week I talked about drones. And as I said, drones are flying about and can take photos of people on the ground, in buildings, and in their homes in ways not imagined before. Uh, also, homes are photographed from the street and are posted online. Cameras are stationed within all types of buildings and outside to monitor what people are doing. And not to be forgotten, tracking technology can follow our physical whereabouts, where we go. So with privacy slipping through our fingers, you know, perhaps the ultimate outcome is that we feel we must behave perfectly so that our communications and conduct never come back to bite us. But can yeah. we really do that? So on the other hand, I'd like to think that we're all human, we're all subject to the same changing landscape when it comes to disappearing privacy. So if something comes about um, such that someone, uh, if something comes out that someone previously thought was private, and that casts that person in less than a perfect light, hopefully we can exercise some humanity and give him or her the benefit of the doubt. Because right now, Jonathan, and this is my theme for 2015, we are all living in glass houses. Your turn. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm very, very thought-provoking, and I think, I think you've probably covered at least two on my list of five at the same time. I think you're right that uh, privacy is going to be probably the biggest challenge in 2015. I agree with almost everything you say. I think clearly we've also seen after the horrific uh, episodes in France uh, last week that um, privacy is also under attack from the state as well. Within 24 hours of the, uh, the three terrorists being shot, we had calls, renewed calls in the UK for more access to data. We had, of all things, Sky News, the sort of affiliate of Fox News in the UK. Um, we had the anchor complaining as the siege was being broken that she couldn't use her iPad and iPhone to read tweets, believe it or not. The security service had, had, had taken the cell phone connection down so that they could coordinate the freeing of the hostages at both sites and she's complaining that she's unable to read tweets. You know, we've got this odd situation, I think, where people demand the right to privacy, but they also demand the right to constant access to any type of application they want to share data on. And they sort of seem to also want to demand the right to remove it again. Um, I did quite a long interview. It's on the uh, site if you want to look at it for the BBC on Friday evening about a campaign just to look at these issues for 8 to 12-year-old children. How do you explain? It's called the Share Aware campaign from the uh, NSPCC, a child cruelty prevention charity over in the UK, and, and did quite a long interview on that on Friday when that launched. Um, and, uh, you know, these are um, 48 uh, sites social media sites that were aimed at adults and children, they were allowing children under 13 to share data. In 40% of the sites, this uh, special panel of uh, parents, 500 parents, couldn't find any privacy reporting or safety information. 
So it's mm. a huge problem, I think. And you're right that, that this is all sort of merged into one. I was very interested in the use of the drones uh, at the Golden Globe Awards. And after our discussion last week, I, I wrote a blog that's on our site on, on that as well. I think drone mm -hmm. use is part of the privacy issue. And I think we're going to see more social media uh, messes as well. And again, it's social media and privacy and everything else combined. Um, I don't know whether you've seen it over there, but uh, one of uh, Fox's experts, I have to say that in inverted commas in the circumstances, said uh, <laughs> a, a day or so ago that Birmingham, the UK Birmingham, not the one in Alabama, was 100% Muslim and basically was a no-go area for non-Muslims. Completely false, roughly 10% Muslim population in Birmingham. Um, as a result, this hashtag started called Fox News, Fact, uh, which, Fox News Facts, which was the leading tweet, I think, in the UK for a time. He had to come onto mainstream media in the UK and apologize. He's making a donation uh, to charity. But one of the interesting things was that another group who seemingly want to prolong the pain for Fox News set up a Fox News PR account and effectively wrote cease and desist tweets to everybody who'd, or, or to a large number of people who'd made some comedic comment afterwards. And, you know, there's all this uh, melting pot, isn't there, about is that an invasion of privacy? Are you threatening people with legal action? Is it brand reputation? Um, and, and at the same time, we're dealing in a slightly comedic way with some very serious issues on the internet, mm -hmm. like terrorism and people's uh, reaction to it. I give you two more things that I think are also a little bit linked, if I can. Obviously, cybersecurity is a big issue, going to be a big issue into 2015. We've already seen these uh, targeted attacks, that stock price-related attacks that we've covered before. And as we know, the Pentagon's Twitter account was, uh, w was hacked a couple of days ago. I think that's a taste of things to come. My big worry for 2015 is I think we're going to start to see some of those people that have been trained by states to do bad things and have had really good training, you know, at these special cyber hacking universities move mm -hmm. more into the private sector. And I yeah. think that's a big worry because then they're hacking corporations to order. They're using the skills that they've gained. There's a lot of them about, and they're going to do it very, very cheaply indeed. So I think we're going to see the same level of focused attacks that are coming from state-sponsored actors by um, just hacking to order, people being bought out in these countries uh, to do an attack. We've already seen it with things like DDoS attacks, mm -hmm. but I think we're going to see it much more with private state-trained actors going into organizations for specific pieces of data and coming out again. And my worry is that some corporations don't know that's happening. I know Obama's trying to, and maybe we'll talk about this another week, is looking again at state breach notification laws, but obviously they're after the event uh, things as well. And my other thing that I think is more connected than you think, I see a rising tide in some parts of Germany to stop people 
emailing outside work hours. We've already got some large German employees where their new deals with the workers and with the unions prohibit them uh, asking their employees to answer emails whilst they're on holiday or to answer emails outside of their normal working hours. There is a school of thought that says that Germany is going to legislate on this, that they will enact specific work-life balance laws to cope with emails. As you know, across most of Europe, there are mandatory working hours, so mm -hmm. 48 hours a week, for example, and people are clearly answering emails out with those hours. So mm -hmm. theoretically, I think we could already see some litigation over U.S.-based employers, particularly, because that's where the big problem is, partly because of the time difference, asking, yeah. uh, let's say, German-based employees, you know, please answer this email within an hour. I've got a meeting within an hour. Can you give me uh, X piece of information uh, by the next 50 minutes? I think we're going to see some, some emails like that found mm -hmm. Maybe class actions in Europe, maybe uh, individual employees taking their employer to court, or maybe even workers' representatives trying to take some of these emails and practices. As I say, my guess is uh, U.S. Em employers are not ending up in, in litigation or some sort of regulatory action. So that's yeah, my quite. wild card. The others, the <laughs> others I'd more or less bet my lunch on. But, uh, but I thought it might be interesting to finish on a wild card. And, and I think, again, Eric, you and I seem to agree on much more than we disagree on. Yeah, that's really good points, Jonathan. And I think your wild card is fascinating, and it follows up on the point I made in last week's uh, podcast about the blurring of work and personal lives when people are telecommuting and how that really leads to the disintegration of the personal life. And now we see some legislation you know, hoping to rectify that problem, and then what happens when uh, there are violations of laws that are passed in this area. So I think that's a, an interesting look to the future. Um, I do think we agree on every point. We're just making some similar points and some different points, but I think we have commonality in, in agreement. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, so I think it's time for us to wrap up this particular Tech Law 10. I can't remember our number, but I know we're well into the 130s in terms of this could be about 135-ish. Jonathan. Yeah. So uh, keep keep a keep abreast of our uh, podcast as we go forward in 2015. This is Eric Sinrod and Dwayne Morris LLP. My EG, uh, my excuse me. I'm going too quickly now. Trying to round out the 10 in Tech Law 10. My email <laughs> address is ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Jonathan. You know what to do. Yeah, and it's, uh, you were right, it is episode 135, so please do keep your comments coming. Uh, tell us if you think we've missed stuff off that list. I'm sure we have. Uh, I'm uh, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. You can connect with us over LinkedIn, as Eric said, over Twitter. I'm at armstrongjp, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>